Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Image Doctors Photography Podcast. Thanks for joining us. I'm Jason O'Dell. And I'm Rick Walker. And it's good to be back. Um, we, um, oh, you know, it was really cool. It was like, I checked our stats and we actually made it to like 35th on the Apple iTunes uh, podcast r- rankings once. It wasn't, you know, so somebody was listening. So we thank our listeners for that. <laughs> was this for... Um, it was arts for a, oriented podcast. Yeah, it, it, was, Fiji. it was visual <laughs> arts in the United States of all places. Oh, but we do okay. Very cool. So that was that was very That's cool. Shocking. So I, I don't really pay too much attention to the stats, but it means people are listening. So if you're out there listening, thank you so much for for listening to our show. And um, and I'll also, just say a thank you to our Patreon supporters too. Yes, absolutely. And you can sign up for to support this show and get um, extra bonus content. Uh, at imagedoctorsphoto.com. Speaking of which, um, there will be a new um, uh, article with a video coming out uh, this week. So by the time you hear this, you can check check there. If you're a sponsor, you'll be able to check out a, a video um, that I've been putting together on Lightroom uh, profiles and presets and things like that. Uh, it's a more nuanced subject than many people would think. It's one is good to know the difference between them, how they yeah. operate, that kind of thing. Because it can so, be a little bit confusing. Exactly. So that's that. And that will that will tie into some stuff that I know that you're working on for our uh-huh. supporters as well. So that's that's always a good thing. So if you are a supporter and you, you are getting those updates, do check out our website, uh, imagedoctorsphoto.com, because there's uh, material there that you will have access to as a uh, supporter of the show, as a patron. So. With that in mind, there was a new Nikon announcement this week, mm-hmm. which I don't know if anybody actually saw it coming this week. It was just sort of came, you know, they teased it about a week ago or so, mm-hmm. something called Plena or Plena, <laughs> whatever that means. Um, you, well, you you looked it up. <laughs> it's Latin and it apparently means like overfilling, like your, you know, your cup runneth cup. over. Exactly. Okay. So, okay. Well, I get That's it. It's nice. So, so what it really was is it's a portrait lens. It's a 135 f1.8 uh lens. So it it adds and it's an S lens. So it adds to that um prime fixed focal length lineup fast telephoto, you know, short telephoto prime. Um and the buzz around this lens from what i read is that it's been designed to have really good bokeh with toward the edges yeah and all the way out to the edge of the frame including like circular you know when when point sources of light are rendered they they become sometimes as they get to the edge of the frame they'll they'll get a little bit more like um you know convex looking they'll look like cat's Cat's eyes yeah so this is supposed to preserve circular highlights without stopping down um, in the in the out of focus background which is cool that's a yeah uh, it's a nice look if you're if you're into that thing if you're into that sort of look um now neither of us owning this or or having handled it um we can just tell you what what we know about it it's um like i said it's a it's a constant 1.8 aperture prime the 135 is a traditional longer portrait length right i mean that's a that is that is one that has been in the in the line forever in terms of classic portrait lens focal lengths you know 85 105 135 that seems to be fit that checks that box when you say yeah and just 
in terms of the competition, Sony's had one for years. Canon came out with one for their RF mount last year, I think. Um, Samyang has made one for a while that's supposed to be very good and, and more bargain a Sigma priced. one too. Yeah. And, and so Nikon really needed to get this one out. It looks like a very nice one. And all of these lenses, frankly, have um, superb image quality. Um, this one appears to have it too, based on the MTF chart. The whole thing about avoiding cat's eye bokeh would be a, a little bit of an enhancement um, over some of the others. Um, so it, it looks uh, nice. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's certainly not small. It, it weighs about two pounds. It's a kilogram or just under a kilogram. Um, but that's sort of to be expected with these these lenses. They're all in that same kind of um, size and construction with you know 35 millimeter millimeter full frame coverage so who is this now this lens does not appeal to you or myself directly other than it would be fun to, to mess with um, because that's not the kind of photography we do but there are some photographers who probably really like this lens and that would include uh, what do you think like certainly portrait photographers right Outdoor portraits would be very nice because you need a little more working distance for these. Yeah, the, and and some of the focal length stuff is, you know, kind of dependent on your subject and and your own taste. What I find with you know taking portraits, I like something a little bit shorter, like maybe no more than one o five. And the reason is, it's it's a different feel. And most of the portraits I do of are of people I know well. So it's mm -hmm. easy for me to get in closer. It's not uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. When you get out to 135, it tends to flatten the facial features a little bit more. So if someone has a little bit larger nose than average, that could be an advantage with this. But it will also flatten out their face, which could be a disadvantage for some people. But I think it also creates a little bit more separation between the photographer and the subject. It doesn't have quite as intimate of feel which is either a pro or a con right because your working you distance is going to be farther back you're going to have mm -hmm. to step back a few more steps for this mm -hmm. and people are used to the idea that um, a person's features and stuff look different up close and they kind of adapt but there's if you if you get that sense that someone is up close it just feels more intimate stepping back feels um, more detached okay sure. they're, they're all good they're all fine mm -hmm. you can shoot portraits and i've done it with a mm -hmm. 200 or a 300 or whatever it's just a different look well and, i mean i definitely think there's some environments that would lend itself well to this mm -hmm. lens so mm -hmm. you know weddings events um fashion photographers possibly yes. might be a little bit farther back from yep that's a from, very good example you know, where, where you're not going to be close up with these people and you're shooting in ambient light and there might be really cool uh, and you could get some good subject isolation yeah and backgrounds that might lend itself to having that really cool you know bokeh so that's mm -hmm. it, it's a good thing to. i think your point is right on it's they a good lens to, to have in your lineup because you you need to you know check certain boxes um and uh, when I looked at the Z lineup, interestingly enough, they're they're down to one uh, as of yet unreleased lens, which is a thirty-five millimeter S, probably a one-two, like the 
the 50 and the 85 um, that have already come out. So um, the Nikon Z roadmap, I won't say it's complete, but they don't have any any major, uh, you know, they don't have any TBD uh, lenses on it right now other than this one 35, uh, 35 one, probably one two um, is the best guess. Um, now, if you're interested in the one thirty five one eight. It runs for about $2,500 US, so it is not cheap, but that is kind of how they all <laughs> price. They're all in sort of that $2,000 range. There are, you mentioned some third-party alternatives that are less expensive and still quite good. So something to think about. Anyway, um, what else are we talking about this week before we get into our main topic? Which is fall colors. Yes. I think we wanted to do a quick um, wrap-up from you on your time with the Nikon 180 to, to 600 and what sure. you thought of it, mm -hmm. uh, any final thoughts? And also, more importantly, who would you recommend it to and, and maybe who would you not recommend right. it to? So I got out with it a few times. Um, mm -hmm. Not going not gonna to lie, I wasn't, you know, there's not a ton of subject out here right now to, to play with. But on the wildlife subjects that I was able to photograph up in the high country, um, I am convinced that this lens is excellent. Um, it is easy to zoom. The internal zoom feature cannot be uh, overstated. It's really good. Um, you know, not having a lens that changes balance, but also just super, super smooth and and easy to turn zoom ring. So compared to other lenses where the the lens barrel extends out, those tend to have more friction in them because uh, you're moving more pieces and it's a little bit awkward it's hard to zoom smoothly uh you know it's it's not a big deal but it 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 is really nice to have that other feature mm -hmm. it seems very sharp across the edges of the frame and it's and, and everything i've read similarly seems to to match up my experience with it too like everyone seems to be this is a very good this is a very good lens and it would be a very good lens um uh even if it was priced higher i, I think i think its price point is incredibly good uh, i think they could have easily priced it at 2000 or 1900 us exactly and it would be just fine right so i think if you are a nikon z user and really, this lens plays best with something like a Z8 or Z9 that has the faster autofocus and subject detection. Because mm -hmm. when you're holding a lens like this, especially if you're not on a tripod or monopod, even with VR, things, you know, you know, you're jumping around. So being able to put your focus on your subject and have the lock on, it, it, it really makes a huge difference with longer focal length lenses like this. Um, yeah. And so if you regularly shoot smaller wildlife, um, potentially some sports, you know, because again, you have that, that range, um, it's less expensive than some of those primes. Um, I and think more it's just flexible. A, yeah. I think it's a, it's a great lens for anybody who's interested in any kind of wildlife photography, provided that if you're going to be out there trying to, it, Here's where it gets a little bit tricky to use this lens, and you've seen the same thing. If you are watching an animal and you're guided in the viewfinder and you're waiting and you're you know you're sitting around, you're like, okay, do something, turn towards me, get that mm -hmm. moment. 
you can find yourself holding this four pound lens for a really long time. And that does get heavy carrying it around. Not a big deal. You know, it's, it's, it's well within the, the, the realm of, of what I was doing with say the 100 to 400 C lens. Okay. It's not that big of a deal, but when you start looking through the viewfinder, especially if you're pointing it upward for long, you know, 30 seconds or more, wow, it can get a little bit tiresome. So a monopod can be your friend for, for that. Um, and just be aware. Um, I think if you're on the other side, if you're more into landscapes and occasional wildlife and you just want a longer lens and, and you, you know, you maybe want something that has quality that is, you know, maybe better than using a 70 to 200 with say a two X converter. I think for those people, the 100 to 400 might be the better choice. Mm-hmm. It's a little lighter, certainly easier to pack. It's not as long and you're going to be just fine shooting it out to 400 for larger animals like deer and elk and whatever, and still be able to crop in a little bit if you've got a higher mm-hmm. resolution camera. Yeah. So the 100 to six, 180 to 600 is awesome for what it does, but it is targeted to people shooting you know, smaller animals more frequently. If you're not doing that all the time or you're, or you're, you know, if you don't have a larger camera bag, it's going to take up more space in your bag for sure. So it's just a thing, but I, I think it's an absolute recommended lens for, for that, for the wildlife enthusiast. I, I would not hesitate to recommend it. Yeah. I think even if someone owns some of the super expensive, super telephotos, you know, that are fast, having something like this as an alternative for certain situations would make tremendous sense. Like when you're traveling or doing stuff that is a little bit more casual or you just want something lighter. Yeah. It's, it's a nice range. It really Mm -hmm. is. So I, I give it two thumbs up for anybody with, um, with those. Now I don't know how frequently it'll be in stock, but that's a different problem. Yeah. I think if you want one, get your order in. (laughs) Yeah. You're going to have to get on a wait list somewhere. Possibly they have been shipping some. I knew, and I heard that there was a, a second batch arrived after the initial, uh, the initial orders. Anyway, uh, great lens. Let's talk about fall colors because we're getting into fall, especially here. Mm-hmm. Not quite. Things are starting to turn here, but higher up in the elevations or further north, they are turning. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, we'll be hopefully photographing some of those uh, starting this week with next in the coming week with our workshop group in yep. the um, Estes Park area of Colorado. So we're looking forward to to doing some of this photography ourselves. Um, great subject fall colors, right? I mean, everyone likes fall colors. Um, but sometimes it can be really hard to get good photos of fall colors because you have to know how to, you know, what kinds of compositions work well, what kind of gear works well, what kind of light works well, right? So mm-hmm. they're not the, they're not hard to shoot, but they're not necessarily easy to shoot. Um, it just depends on, on your, your scenes. I think one problem that a lot of people have, and I, I'll throw myself into that category. You get excited, you see these really great colors, and you look through the viewfinder and take a shot, and it looks great. And then you get home, and it's just a little bit lackluster. And I think it's because we get too excited by the colors and st- stop mm-hmm. um, paying as much attention to things like the composition or 
trying to get interesting lighting or whatever. Right. Right. So, so I, let, let's I, start with with mm -hmm. with something that is a little harder to control, which is the light. Mm -hmm. um, depending on where you live, um, this may or may not be a problem, but it, I can tell you it's a huge challenge for us. Uh, fall colors are best photographed on slightly cloudy days or even overcast days or even fog, you know, things that create very soft light because that cuts down on glare coming off the leaves and it just makes those colors just naturally pop. You know, think softbox, think portrait mm -hmm. photography. We don't get a lot of days like that up here, so it can be can be tricky. So what do you, you know, so that's one thing. So how do you then approach that? Maybe, you know, because you can't always pick the day that you're out there shooting. You don't always have that luxury. So what are some things you can do? Well, one thing you can always do, and this is going to sound familiar to our listeners because we offer this tip a whole bunch of times, change the scale of your shot. Mm -hmm. You know, if the lighting is bad overall, go close. And that could mean finding an area where you have you know, really nice leaves in softer light, maybe even in shadow. Or the other thing is do the same thing, but then look for backlit situations where the leaves are just translucent and you can get beautiful colors that way and rim kind lighting. of control this rim lighting. And um, it's fabulous. Um, sometimes photographing the same leaves after they've fallen or are down on the floor of the forest. That mm -hmm. can work great because you can have soft, softer lighting down there too. And which, if you can find um, wet leaves, if it's rained, it can be awesome. Bring like, your spray bo bottle yeah, of water, right? But photographing in the shade, I think. I think one thing that everybody tries to do, myself included, mm -hmm. is you want that heroic wide shot. Yeah. Now, as with all things, you still have to have a subject. So if it's just a wide shot of leaves, that's one, you know, trees it can work, but it works better if you've got something to anchor the photo, a barn or a building or just cabin, something, right? Mm -hmm. Where, where the subject is framed by the colors themselves. The colors become part of the composition, not necessarily the subject of the composition. Stream photography can be wonderful when you've got, trees right around the stream mm -hmm. that if they have the fall colors it's a glorious time now what about what about uh filters rick well what i would say is polarizers can help you just have to watch the sky and yeah. where we live it's harder mm -hmm. um, if we were in some of the coastal areas where the light is typically softer not so much of a problem. We have the problem where you use a polarizer and the sky turns purple. Yeah, that or doesn't black. necessarily, <laughs> yeah, nasty. or black. That doesn't always happen at sea level. Uh, it usually doesn't. And keep in mind, you don't have to use your polarizer at full strength to get some right. benefit out of it. Right. That's another thing to watch. I think it's great, though, for close ups where you want to remove glare from those leaves and let the colors shine. Because there's no way to do that effectively in post if you get that white specular glare that's coming off that waxy layer on the leaves especially on a somewhat sunny day you need a polarizer to get rid of that yeah the on only the lighter thing, shots it's harder because of the sky yeah. component the only thing you can do and it's not a it's nowhere close to as 
good as what a polarizer might do for you, but you can back off on the highlights. Mm -hmm. And if you do that just as a local adjustment on the trees, you can recover some detail in the leaves and and they'll Mm -hmm. look more natural, a little bit better. Um, Just don't overdo it or it'll, they'll go completely flat, but that's something I've used, you know, in some shots where, Frankly, I just lost all detail in the leaves because mm-hmm. of that, you know, highly reflective surface. But if you're going to bring a filter, the polarizer is the one to bring. Yeah. Now, there's other filters out there that are often, uh, you know, advertised, marketed as, you know, color enhancing, color mm-hmm. intensifier, you know, great for fall colors, right? You know, whatever filter. And there's a lot of them out there. Um, what about those? I would not recommend them at this point. Uh, a lot of those were really put in place for film photography where you really had to deal with the issue at the time that you took the shot. Um, I've used them. They, they work. They do work. However, there's a far easier and better way to, to get that same effect. And that's just, tweaking your sliders within your raw processor or Photoshop mm-hmm. or whatever to enhance certain colors, you know, more saturation, you know, mm-hmm. varying the luminosity levels. You yeah. can just have much better control. And, and what I would actually say too, is just, you know, throw in a little bonus tip. This is mm-hmm. a place where if you're say uh, using camera raw Lightroom and other programs have similar tools, but that, color panel with hsl sliders use saturation lumin- yes. luminance you can go there and dial in saturation and brightness for individual color ranges oranges or yellows dial them up dial them down do different things to make them look gives you control in ways that filter would not the filter is going to do one thing it's going to emulate it's going to render colors a certain way whereas in post I'm not talking about just going and cranking the saturation slider or the vibrant slider. I'm talking about going into those individual channels and and doing it that way. Not channels, the slider, the color sliders. Um, and several tools have that now. Um, it also may be a time where some of the more vivid color profiles that you have available to you in your raw processing program might be useful. Just be careful about overdoing it. Yeah. Some of those are tasteful. Some of them are over the top. So hopefully you have an opportunity to get some fall foliage where you live, depending on where you live, that's either starting or even possibly peaking right now if you're way up in the Northeast or in Canada. Um, But this is about the time when things start turning. Um, We'll probably see it down here and in the Southern Colorado in a few weeks. It'll probably be, there's Mm -hmm. resources online that try to predict when the colors would peak there. They're not, you know, you have to, they're, they're usually pretty close. They're good tools. You know, it, it gives you an idea of when you should be going. One thing I will say is that if you're trying to plan a trip for fall colors, you know, to go up to New Hampshire or Vermont or, or wherever, mm-hmm. that can be tricky. It can be really tricky because, you know, unless you've got two weeks to spend and you can go and give yourself a nice window to, to go up there, um, trying to nail down when is it a good time to view when is it not crowded over on with people whatever um it's just very difficult yeah okay um anything we missed i'm trying to think it's pretty good well we will we um again appreciate all of our listeners um 
And uh, we appreciate all of our show sponsors, imagedoctorsphoto.com. Be sure to check that out. Check out our upcoming articles. And One thing uh, I'll mention is we will have a bonus video coming out for our um, the Patreon subscribers, you know, at the right level that will have our shots from the Estes Park, Rocky Mountain uh, National Park area. Fingers after crossed. That. So, yep. Oh, we'll, we'll I'll, I'll have to remember my polarizer. Yeah. Okay. Well, it sounds good. So until next time, happy shooting. All right. Bye-bye.